Okay, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word this morning, Father, may we have humble hearts ready to receive the truth of your word in the context of your church and your leaders and your people. Father, for your grace, or for our grace and for your glory, it's in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, Pastor Rusty led us through uh, this sermon on submission. Uh, it was quite funny. I, I heard a preacher one time say, uh, on preaching on a similar passage, that he felt like he was rowing a canoe upstream and, and all, all the ladies on the sides, you know, with arrows and bows and so on and so forth. But, uh, and I think Rusty mentioned some of that trepidation as well. Um, but he faithfully delivered, I think, the word well. <clears throat> Hopefully, uh, you were cared for and encouraged last week. <clears throat> I want to kind of start there without rehashing it, but it leads us right, because it leads us right into verse 7. And seeing these two pieces fit together is really crucial. And so last week, we talked about, really, if I could put it in a, maybe a little bit different words, the joy of submission, the pleasure of submission, and thinking in terms of what a privilege it is for all of us as we think about submission, what a privilege it is to be brought by the Spirit of God to be in humble submission to another person, to be set free from the bondage of self-sufficient, self-reliant arrogance. To be set free from always having to have everything go our way. The same arrogance, listen to me church, the same arrogance that led to Adam and Eve and the terrible fall. I mean think about it, if when you put submission in, that, in those terms, if you're a follower of Jesus, it should spur joy and thankfulness. That instead of being a slave to this over here, I'm now free to submit to righteousness. Last week, Rusty talked about how, from this passage, how submission leads to life. That submission actually leads to life. Why? I would propose, and in many ways he argued last week, because submission is an outworking of one's hope in God. Submission is the outworking or the fruit of someone's hope in God. It's, it's, it's the bearing of fruit that comes from hope in God. 1 Peter 3, 5 from the passage last week. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. All right? Here comes fruit. By submitting to their own husbands. Now, submission says hope in God 
two ways. At least two ways, but probably not limited to these two ways. Two ways. One, I'm not sufficient on my own. I need someone to lead me. Submission says that. I am not sufficient on my own. I need something outside of myself to lead me. That I, I can't figure everything out on my own. I need someone to lead me. Two, it says hope in God, that God is the sufficient one. And so when I trust in a frail human being, I display my hope in God. I mean, think about that for a second. That I would submit to someone with the same frame as myself would take an incredible degree of trust in the God behind that person. And only one whose hope is great in the one behind the frail person, only that person, only this person with that measure of hope, in that kind of God, could walk in the kind of submission that the Scriptures call for. Now the reality is, as we talk about this idea of submission, that this is true for men and women, married and single. Let me encourage you singles particularly for a second. If human marriage is a symbol of Christ and the church, then submission and headship in marriage is meant to encourage you as you walk in submission unto Christ. So it's meant to give you a visual as, as well as the rest of us. So as we work through this as it applies in the home, it's meant to be an encouragement to you and, and a picture, uh, a display of what it looks like for you to walk in submission to Christ together with the church. So submission, although Paul or Peter is addressing wives and submission. Submission is ultimately not just a woman thing, it's a human thing. Indeed, it's a God thing as well. Not just that it comes from God, but it is actually an act in which God partakes in too. So if submission for God is a good thing, then certainly it is a good thing for us, but it's not just a human thing, and it's certainly not just a woman thing. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, Jesus speaking here, not to do my own will. Let me rephrase the last part of this sentence. But to submit to the will of my Father. That's what Jesus is saying. I came to submit to the Father. So submission is a good thing. Now listen to me, men particularly. How well you care in leading your wife is directly related to how well you submit. Now I'm going to argue this and it's going to take us all the way through to the end today, but that's going to be one of the main arguments that I think Peter makes and I'm going to try to argue this morning as well. That how well you lead your wife is directly related to how well you submit. Submit both to, or to the following, places like your boss, your governing authorities, the elders in this church, the church at large. And all of those areas reflect ultimately how well you submit to God. 
You can't claim to submit to God and not submit well on the horizontal. It doesn't work that way. But just like Jesus says, well, how, how do we know we cared for you, Jesus, right? Well, he says, well, when you clothed me and, and you gave me food. So there's this horizontal reality, this outworking of the vertical in the horizontal. Certainly also passages where it's God who establishes the authorities that are over us, even the evil and terribly wicked ones. And so all of these governing authorities over us and how we submit to them show us and reflect to us, particularly us men in this passage, how well we submit to God. So the question is, going back here, do we have a posture of seeking their will? Do we have a posture of deferral and trust? Do we have a posture of, again, submission? You know, men, one of the best, safest, and most helpful places to practice submission is in this church with your leaders and especially your elders. If you can't do it here, then you aren't going to do it anywhere else. If you can't submit well, then you can't lead well. They go together. And ultimately, again, I think the passage makes this point. As a point of personal testimony here, among our elders, I am constantly given the opportunity to look at my heart and ask, do I have a posture of submission with them? Toward them? Do I seek their leadership in my own life, in my marriage, etc.? When it comes to my own understanding of the Scriptures, is it both in submission to the Scriptures and my understanding of the Scriptures in submission to the elders that God's put over me? It's a both and. I have no more authority in this place than Pastor Rusty or Pastor Greg has. I'm given the chance to walk this submission thing out with them, and it's good for my soul. And as we're thinking about the leading of my wife and the leading of your wives, but thinking about me for a second, it's also crucial for her. My exercise of leadership in the home is directly connected to what submission looks like for me in the church. And what an amazing opportunity it is that I'm not a slave that we're not slaves anymore to our own authority and its crooked ways. But we can, by God's grace, submit to rightful authority. Now back a little closer to 1 Peter here. If I hope in God, then it will fruit in submission. It will fruit in leadership. Listen, show me someone who struggles to submit man or woman, and I will show you someone who struggles to hope in God. You see, submission, again, is the fruit of hope in God, and hope in God leads to life. Now, Peter begins this verse, particularly in verse 7, with saying that there are similarities between what he has just said to the ladies and what he is about to say now to the men. 
Now, he's not saying that, that similarly men are to submit to their wives. He precludes that with the call to lead and such. But this calling to the men leads to life because it too is an outworking of one's hope in God. <clears throat> that this leadership in the home leads to life because it too is an outworking of the husband's hope in God. Later on, he will say, let me give you just a little taste of this, because this is where we're going. <clears throat> Later on, he will say, so that your prayers are not hindered. The inverse would be true as well. If you exercise authority well, your prayers will flow freely to the Lord, unhindered to the Lord. Did you hear that? Men, if you would lead your wife well, then your walk with the Lord would flourish. And the inverse is true, too. And we said that rightful authority and the use of it and submission such as from is the fruit of hope in God and hope in God leads to life. But on the flip side of this, the abuse of authority leads to death. Why? <clears throat> right? Because authority, abuse of authority leads to death because it is born out of and leads to something other than Hope in God. Abuse of authority is born out of hope in self. Help in our plans, or hope in our plans, hope in our cause, hope in our way. And we know that according to Ephesians 2, that the tendency for our hearts is to go the way of the world. What we once were, or maybe currently are, if we're not redeemed. But when authority is used rightly, and in this context, specifically thinking about the home, it leads others to hope in God. It leads the wife to hope in God, which of course fruits in so many wonderful things like our children getting to see this same reality and our people around us getting to see the same reality. That there is hope in God. So I want to give you, at least from this passage, a few things that we see about Christian leadership, especially leadership in the home. The first part of verse 7, he says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. First thing I want you to see is this, live knowing your wife. Live knowing your wife. Alright, so he says, live in an understanding way. <coughs> Excuse me, what does that mean? Live in an understanding way. What he means is, live, like literally, he means living together according to knowledge. Living together according to knowledge. So, let me put it in another, live with your wives according to knowledge. Now, Peter doesn't specify what kind of knowledge he means. I think he implies it, and we'll get to that in a bit. But Peter doesn't specify. But listen, if your translation says simply something like, live considerately, or if it says like to live with a considerate attitude, that isn't wrong. It just isn't rich enough. 
It isn't full enough. It doesn't, like, like, it's not enough to just say or do things that are accommodating. Like, that would be the idea of being considerate. Well, you know, okay, dear, it's okay, you know, let me help you. That, that's, not the, that's not the idea of this passage. He's, he's not saying just be accommodating or considerate, be kind. That's not what he's saying. Live together according to knowledge. Peter is saying, here's what he's saying, you must focus, give great attention to growing in knowledge that somehow affects the leading of your wife. Let me say that again, gentlemen, because this is what you need to drive home. You must focus, give great attention, which that means lots of hours, okay? Lots of Mind thinking, yes. And growing in knowledge, and a knowledge that somehow has an impact on the leading of your wife. I want you to hear something. There is a correlation, gentlemen. There's a correlation between knowing and leading, knowledge and leading. Growing in knowledge and leading. There's a correlation. So you mean, you know, the marriage book I read when we first got married and we went through that marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and you mean that wasn't enough? Yes, I mean that wasn't enough. Or you mean sticking my nose in my computer every night instead of engaging my wife isn't enough? Yes. You mean that what I've learned so far isn't going to be sufficient to carry on to the end of time? Yes. There's some kind of knowledge that Peter is saying we must grow in if we're to lead our wives well. Now Peter, again, doesn't say specifically what knowledge we're supposed to have and be seeking as we lead, but I think it's clear from the context. I think there's at least two primary ways in which we're to grow in knowledge that directly impacts the way we lead our wives. The first one is this, knowledge of God's purposes and principles, especially as they relate to marriage. <clears throat> to know God's purposes and principles, especially as they relate to marriage. To grow in the knowledge of that. I mean, think about it again, just to make the argument here for why, why I think that is, what's, what's the context, right? What's he doing? he's giving us God's purposes and principles for marriage. That's what he's doing. So he certainly wants us to, to grow in that and knowing that. So this is not a point we're just pulled out of midair. I mean, he's teaching us this right now. So, so men, you've got to know God's word and apply it to your marriage. You have to be growing in knowing the word in order to apply it to your marriage, to your wife, to your leadership. Listen, knowing, let's get some, some of the practicals of why, other than the fact that it's just clear that's what we need to do, but some practicals. Knowing God's word will tell you much of what you need to know concerning your wife and yourself. It will help you understand why she thinks the way she thinks and why you respond the way you respond and why we say things the way we say them and I was telling someone uh, not too long ago as we were, we were thinking about um, how does um, believing 
in total depravity affect the church? And I said, one of the things that it affects is it affects the way I counsel you. It, it, it affects the way, kind of our starting point. Our starting point when we sit down and counsel as a church is not that you're a good person on your way to just being a better person. We, we start counseling with the assumption that God is glorious and you and I are totally incapable of being glorious and beholding His glory apart from His grace. That's our starting point, both for you and for myself. That's where we start. And then we're going to counsel from there that, that we're depraved wretches in need of God's glory and God's grace. So listen, if you know that, like that's a, again, that's a, another principle. If you know that walking into your marriage, that you're both, particularly you, you yourself, as the leader men, are depraved, then you know that your tendency in everything that you do regarding your wife and anything else has the proneness to wander. I've used this phrase before multiple times, but it would lead us to have a healthy self-doubt. If there's one thing I think many of us struggle with, if not all, it is the idea of sober-mindedness. Or the idea in Romans 12 of having too high of an estimation of ourselves. So we make too many assumptions based on our perceptions and our, what we think is best. So men, as you're leading your wives, if you came in with a healthy and a biblical understanding of self because you've studied the Word, then you would treat her differently. <clears throat> I guarantee if you understood yourself more as a depraved wretch in need of God's rescue, you would be more tender. You would be more helpful. You would be more patient and kind and so on and so forth. It will help you understand why things are happening. It's not going to give you a play-by-play. -play. But again, God's Word will tell you things like what is best for your wife. What is best for you? The scriptures will help you understand when you need to lay, listen to the distinction here. A, when you need to lay down your life by giving up a preference, you lay down your life for her by giving up a preference of yours, and it will help you understand when you need to lay down your life by leading in a way that she doesn't want to go because it is clearly faithful to God. Laying down your life might look one way or the other or a little bit of both. Now, I, I do need to insert a side note here. <clears throat> Men, if you're going to take your wife down a path that she is opposed to, then you best be standing squarely upon the Word of God. And you best have the support of your elders and other counsel. I have seen too many, in this church included, fickle, flaky, and weak men make absolutely asinine and destructive decisions that hurt their wives, their kids, and others around them. 
not growing in the knowledge that Peter is speaking of here and not walking in appropriate submission and the application of it to the leadership in their homes. So knowledge of God's purposes and principles, especially as they relate to marriage. He wants us to grow in that. Second, I believe he wants us to grow in the knowledge of our wives' strengths and weaknesses. Grow in knowing her. Grow in knowing her, specifically her, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So let's talk about some practicalities here. You should know your wife's idolatries, her tendencies of what what she tends to worship when she turns her face away from God. You should know the triggers that, that cause or at least bring the heat that expose certain struggles. You should know how she relates to circumstances and how she relates to other people and where she struggles and where she does well. And you should know, like, if the day goes this way, what are her tendencies going to be? Where is her heart going to rest at when it doesn't rest in the Lord? Or would this be a situation that would cause her to hope in something else? Or would, in this situation, she hope in God? What, what would happen? Know her. As one person I read this week said, in many ways, this can only be gained through times of private fellowship together as husband and wife. Having purposeful, that was the end of the quote, having purposeful conversations, having honest conversations. Husbands, having listening sessions. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. Where you shut up and let her talk. Where you ask questions, not for selfish gain, but for her good. Don't, listen, here's the deal. Some of the reasons why we don't grow in knowing our wives is because we assume already that we do. And why do we assume? Because we're prideful. It's the same thing, go back to the fall. We can figure out what's right and wrong. Why? Because we assume we got it. And men, we certainly struggle here. You know, or, or, or you got this phrase, right? <clears throat> a women, who can understand them? Or what's that book? Someone's from Mars and someone's from Venus. Anyways, the, 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 the genders are from the opposite planets, right? So we just throw our hands up and go, well, I just, I just can't understand her. Well, God does. God created her, uniquely her with her unique sets of strengths and weaknesses. He created her that way. He occasioned life to develop her in that way. And if you would seek to lead her well, your prayers to the one who knows her would not be hindered. Now, why, why, why do we struggle with this so much, right? This growing and knowing, whether it's her, knowing knowledge in general that would impact the way we lead. Why do we struggle with this so much? I, this is at least one observation I think is potential for most, if not all of us. Well, I think it's potential for all of us. I think it probably applies to all of us. I think because we're too consumed with knowing ourselves. I think we're too absorbed with self men 
We want to know ourselves, particularly when we realize our plans, meaning when they come to pass. When, when our plans come to pass, we want to know what we will be when we get to the end of that journey. Whether it's the end of that journey tonight, or it's the end of the journey for this next season. What I mean is we want to know what it feels like, what it looks like, what others might think of us when we accomplish our plans and dreams. We want to know that and we're consumed with knowing that about ourselves. Or when we reach this goal in my life, who will I be then? I want to know that. and So I'm going to go after that goal. Or maybe it's just at night, one night, on the couch. I want to know who I will be after I spend the next two hours wasting it doing whatever it is I choose to do instead of getting to know my wife. Or during the week when I'm at my job, I want to know myself and my full potential once I reach this certain position. Or instead of leading my wife in repentance, I'm too consumed with knowing myself as a patient and stress-free person. I love growing and knowing the reality of just having it at ease in my home. And so I don't lead through the hard things like repentance. I think, I think by and large, we're too caught up in knowing ourselves to put it in the words of another person, we want to be world travelers. We want to know ourselves in this world, and we are consumed by it. It has captured our gaze, men. Books like Eldridge, Wild at Heart, and that kind of garbage. We just need to be free to roam. No. Listen to these words by... Some of you know who Andrew Peterson is. He's a singer, songwriter, author. He wrote this song called World Traveler. Here it goes. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, I'll read the lyrics. Uh, Well, I grew up in a little town, a southern mix of lost and found, where most folks seemed to stick around. But I could hear the highway song. I'd sit out on the dock till dawn. And dream about the great beyond. I dreamed that I was a world traveler. Set me loose to find my way. Just get me out on the road someday with my sails unfurled. So many mysteries I wanted to unravel if I could travel the world. And soon enough I had my way. I saw the world the Lord has made mostly from the interstate. But I had hardly seen a thing until I gave that golden ring to the one who gave her heart to me. And I became a world traveler. That's the day I hit the road. I walked the hills of the human soul of a tender girl. I'm a world traveler. She opened the gate and took my hand led me into the mystic land where her galaxies swirl. So many mysteries I never will unravel. I want to travel the world. Now certainly, he, uh, one thing I appreciate about his lyrics here, he's affirming the goodness of exploring the world and, and, and such. And, like, there's a goodness in that. But what he's saying is, if, if you've been 
given a bride, if God has given you a wife, you have more there to explore. Don't pursue yourself. At least not like that. It's not about you, and it's right in front of you. You don't need to hit hit the interstate to explore the galaxies, this image bearer of God that's right in front of you. It's right, well, right in beside you. I, you know, I, it's not right in front of you because I'm in front of you, but right beside you, in your home, sleeping in your bed, sitting on the couch next to you at night. That there is someone there who somehow has the image of God imprinted upon her. And there's more there for you to explore than you could ever imagine. Live knowing your wife. Number two, let's go back to the passage, verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So second, live honoring your wife. Live honoring your wife. All right, let's talk about this weaker sex, weaker vessel. Um, Let's talk about this for a second. Peter doesn't specify the way he understands weaker to be so. I think the context is this. Any kind of weakness of which Husbands would need to be cautioned not to take advantage of. Let me say that again. Any kind of weakness of which husbands would need to be cautioned not to take advantage of. So husbands, what does it mean? As your wife is a weaker vessel... It could be her weakness in thinking she needs to do everything around the house when your lazy butt should be doing it. It could be her weakness in idolizing things like power or influence or comfort. It could be emotional weakness. Maybe she's more prone to be hurt deeply by conflict within a marriage or inconsiderate behavior on your part and my part. It could be physical weakness. It certainly means weakness in terms of authority. She doesn't have the authority in the marriage that you have. So you could easily be abusive and and not appropriate and not honor her when it comes to the exercise of authority. Listen, I, I, I don't think all women share the exact same weaknesses. Back to his first point. You must know your wife and know her weaknesses, her uniqueness. Weaker sex. Now, 
What's he do with, with this word he chooses here? Sex, idea, this gender equals jar or vessel. Now, both men and women are referred to as a jar or a vessel. And I think Peter, or, yeah, Peter uses this as a reminder for both of us that we are humans, we are frail, and we are both under obligation to God, our Creator. I think he uses this to remind us of our equality in essence and in dignity, certainly distinct in roles. That's what the broader passage is about. But he uses this to remind us that we are equal in essence and equal in dignity. We are both vessels created by God, our owner. Now, he says to show them honor. Show them honor. So I'm going to take a step back. Show them honor. Uh, this is an incredible theme. God is often pleased, just study the scriptures, God is often pleased to give honor to those who are weaker or less honored, especially in the eyes of the world. I mean, just read your Bible. God cares for those whom the world often overlooks. Now, we're going to define honor in a little bit, in just a second. But first, if your Bible says to respect her, I think that word is too weak. Again, it's not wrong, it's just too weak. One can treat someone with detached, formal respect and yet give no special honor to the person at all. Oh, I just make sure, you know, she's treated with dignity or, you know, make sure she's given what she wants, you know, and all that kind of garbage can look like respect without showing someone honor. But before we get to defining honor, I, I want to give a couple, couple um, exhortations here. First one's this. Husbands must never allow their wives to become an excuse for their own sin. Husbands must never allow their wives. Showing honor. So if we could say, in a second I'm going to tell you what we mean by honor. Right now I'm telling you what we don't mean by honor. <clears throat> Honoring your wife does not mean letting her become an excuse for sin. That tragically happened to the likes of Solomon and Abraham. Well, you know, my wife, just, she's just really good at making all the decisions. I'm just going to delegate it to her. Fantastic. No. Now we, we get to how we work through that in a second. But Another one. Maybe it's easy just to keep the peace. It's easy just to try to be liked by your spouse. Unwill. It's easier to get in bed with the same sin as your spouse than it is to oppose the sin. Wives, husbands, honoring your wives is never an excuse for sinning. The second exhortation I wanted to give you here that, so that we're careful as we work through this is that husbands are never above their wives' exhortation. Husbands are never above their wives' ex or exhortation. Honoring someone means recognizing the value of their voice. Notice I didn't say giving them a voice. You don't have the right to give that or take it away. That's God's. But you and I, 
We can choose to, to recognize it, to, to see the value of it as it applies to us. This means husbands asking your wife to speak into your life while you keep your mouth shut and listen. Humbly hearing their voice. Mining, if you will. Digging into the content for truth, goodness, and beauty. Looking for it. Listen. Not because she's necessarily unskilled, but probably because of your depravity. She will never say it in the perfect way. Okay? She's probably not going to be the most skilled in maneuvering around your ego. Alright? So just... There's your warning. There are so many times I've seen, even just in the past 10 years, where I wish the husband, or I wish, yes, I wish the husband would have listened to his wife. There's many times in my own life I wish I would have listened to my wife. But honor, let's talk about honor. So what is honor? We talk about what honor is not. Now what is honor? Honor is much more than simply respect. Honoring at its root is this. Always seeking her best, even over and above yours. Always seeking her best, even over and above yours. I don't mean seeking her best even if it means you sin. That's not, no, 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 no. Always seeking her best. Her best is for you to not sin. For you to be holy. That will always be what's best for her. But always seeking her best, even over and above yours. I mean, don't you see that in the gospel? Jesus sought our best and gave his life. Honor doesn't mean always doing what they like. It means always doing what's best. Now practically, practically, Affirming words, both privately and publicly. Men, men, I've heard some of the way you speak to your wives with harshness or with annoyance. Stop it. Encouraging words, affirming words, loving words. I was thinking about the idea of encouragement. Sarah and I talk about this all the time. I'm not incredibly prone to speak encouraging words, and when I do, it's like super awkward. Uh, so Sarah and I just have lots of laughs about my trying to be encouraging in our marriage. Um, yes, I'm awkward right now. There you go. Listen, my, my role, like in most of my life, is speaking, right? I mean, I speak here, speak in private, speak in meetings, all, all. And yet, when it comes to like speaking and encouraging, I just struggle with it. I, and I, I don't know, I'm sure it's sin to some level. Listen, I'm not talking about lying, not talking about, a, what, about giving false true, falseness to, to her, but, but talking about affirming God's goodness in her. Not affirming her self-indulgence or self-reliance or her pride, but, but looking hard to see the work of God in her. And listen, if you have to work really hard, it's probably not because it's not happening in her. It's probably because your eyes are blind. Encouraging her. So affirming words. But then also a high priority in choices regarding the use of one's resources. A high priority in choices regarding the use of one's resources. This doesn't mean that you just hand over the reins and woohoo, there you go. 
It means that you choose to spend your resources in a, resources in a way that will help your wife flourish in the Lord. For example, I, I, like I, I, I have heard this. I am not lying. I have heard of men getting upset that their wife is going to DNA. Here's what I wrote in my notes to that. Get over your stupid self. <laughs> my boys later are going to tell me I said stupid. And I'm not allowed to say it. <laughs> like, or pestering them while they're there. Stop it. <clears throat> or, maybe you waste money on her instead of being generous in other ways that leads your family to treasure the right things. Does your, does your wife really need the temporary material goods that she might think she needs? It? Listen, I'm being very careful to not draw lines Right through these because it can look different in different contexts. What I'm saying is give a high priority in choices regarding the use of one's time and money and other resources in such a way that would honor your wife, that would do what is best for her even over and above yourself. Now listen, if your wife loves Jesus, then she wants you to do what will move and help her flourish in Christ, whether she wants it in that moment or not. Whether she wants it. Listen, we can all get very short-sighted, right? Right? And in that moment, we don't want it. Man, that's where you as a husband can come along. And, and this is very true the other way around, too. But that's where you as a husband can come along. To, listen, 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 hon. I, I know you, you are struggling with this right now, but I know because of the pattern in your life, that this is, this is not ultimately what you want. You want to follow Christ. You want to treasure Him right now. Let me help you. Again, remember, hope in God leads to submission. Help her hope in God, not because you're a moron, but because you walk the beautiful path of repentance and faith. Help her hope in God because you're living a life that glorifies God by walking in repentance and leading her to Christ every day. I'm not saying you have to sit down and preach her a sermon. Listen, I think one of the best ways we lead our wives to hope in God is to walk daily in repentance and faith ourselves. Walk daily abiding in the Word ourselves. It will bleed out to your wife. All right, back to 1 Peter 3, 7. So live knowing your wife. Live, what was that second point? Honoring your wife. And let's read verse 7 here again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you see that? Man, that was, we're going to drill in here for just the last few minutes. It is very clear 
If you don't live this way with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. So again, at the very foundation, we have live, honor, live knowing your wife and live in a way that honors your wife. Now you can see how honoring is informed by knowing, right? Like your honoring is informed by this knowing God, God's principles, God's design for your marriage, and then knowing her, God's unique creation of her in your marriage. And you take those things and start to put them together, and now you get to make decisions on what is honoring in your family and with your wife. And then Peter kind of lays the smack down here at the end. He says, if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Well, lastly, I want you to say, I want you to see, live to commune with God. Like, meaning live for this purpose. Live for this purpose. Don't live ultimately for the purpose of leading your wife. That will not be a good road. But live to commune with God. I think Peter takes this through this journey and then points us back to God for us husbands, and ultimately, this is true for all of us. What we see here is God's fatherly discipline for our good and to those He loves. Listen, here is what, here's what's happening. God is so concerned about your leading your wife with honor and knowledge that He interrupts His relationship with you when you are not faithful in leading in your home. That God, because He loves you, is willing to interrupt His relationship with you when your leadership is unfaithful. Listen, I see many men in our congregation and there's a correlation. Those who walk with the Lord is dead. Their leadership in the home is likewise. And listen to this as well. You will accomplish nothing good in life if your prayer life is hindered. And we will have no prayer life if we do not live in a way that honors our wives. This is why some of you are enjoying the fruit of a great career, making lots of money, but your wife isn't flourishing. In many ways, God has given you over to yourself. Or for some of us, you know, can't, can't seem to get ahead in life, or can't seem to move forward. Where are we going? Maybe it's because our prayers are being hindered. Because we're not leading our wives too consumed with something else. That's why it always seems like maybe there's conflict in our homes or with our spouse. Why are we not on the same page? Or why are we always, where there's tension? Maybe it's because you're not leading well and your prayers are being hindered. As Grudem said, your relationship with him is being interrupted. Here we really get to the heart of the matter. I think Peter takes us to the heart of it. There is a connectedness between leading well in the home 
and one's desire for God. Right, men? There's a connectedness between leading well in the home and one's own personal desire and love and affection and longing for God. Peter is saying literally, specifically, carefully, simply this. If you do not lead your wife as I have called you to, your communion with God will be hindered. He doesn't say non-existent, but hindered. Your prayers will be answered, but they'll be answered in a disciplining way. So, if you want your relationship with God to flourish, men, then you must strive to help your wife flourish in her hope in God. You see the connectedness? Her hope in God, you're serving her to that end, is connected to your hope in God, your communing with God. Now listen, I know, when I I look around, many of us, the furthest thing from our mind is helping our wife flourish in Christ. Sometimes we might go days without thinking it. Or maybe at best we think, well, I I bring her to church. We go to church, don't we? We go to church together. I mean, it's, it's just pathetic. Let me be real honest and real blunt for a moment. Here's what your lack of leading her to hope in Christ says about you. You don't care about communing with God. You don't care about living in relationship with your Creator. You don't care about the cross or the resurrection. You don't care about eternity. Because here's the deal. If you cared about communing with God more than you did the computer, your job, your pride, your power, your free time, your hobbies, your comfort, your sex life, so on and so forth, then you would do everything you could to understand your wife and to honor her. Why? Because you don't want your walk with the Lord to be hindered. Because that's what you treasure. That's what you value. And if you valued that, then you will do these other things. Why? Because it's precious to you. If your walk with the Lord was precious to you, you would say, then I want my walk with my wife to be precious as well. I want to faithfully lead her as well. So honor your wife so that your communion with the Lord would flourish. Cherish the relationship you have with the Lord so much that it overflows into your relationship with your wife. Lay the other idols down and praise Him for the gospel until your heart so desires to have prayers that flow freely to God. It's then and it's only then that you will honor your wife. When your hope is in God, when He is your treasure, when walking with Him is your delight, when the idea of having your prayers hindered from Him makes you shudder. By the way, that's what submission to God looks like. Wanting desiring to commune with Him such that there was no interruption 
That's walking in submission to God. And if that's what you desired, then you would lead your wife well. Now lastly, notice the last phrase in this passage. Since you are joint heirs of the grace of life. There's a couple points here I want you to grasp. What could possibly spur our hearts to want to commune with God such that we would honor and lead our wives as we should? Very quickly. Future grace. Future grace. We are joint heirs of the grace of life. What does that mean? That means that this communing with God, this communing with Him is the place where I experience and enjoy this grace that I need, that I certainly don't deserve by the nature of what it is, but it is what I hope in for today and for tomorrow. He says we are joint heirs. Let me give you a reminder. Even though you have been given greater authority within marriage, your wife is still equal in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. She is a joint heir. Joint heir and submission slash authority go together. Listen, you are inheritors of grace together. You're inheritors of this together. If you are both believers, then you both have all the grace you need for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. All the grace you need for submission. All the grace you need to lead and honor. All of it. It is yours If you do live in a relationship where one of you is a believer and the other one is not, I want to remind you as well, if you're the believer, you are the heir of the grace of life. You have it. It is yours. All the grace you need to live in hope in God and to submit when appropriate and to lead where appropriate. And this grace you have is a moment-by-moment reminder that Jesus Christ bought your hope in God when He paid for your sin on the cross and defeated death in His resurrection. Let me end with this. The man who doesn't lead well in the home doesn't want to live well with God. But the man who longs to commune with God is a man who lovingly and diligently pursues the honor of his bride. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to work through this passage today. Just these few verses, but these few verses, or this this verse, one verse, has such great implications for us as people. 
for us as husbands and wives, for us even as singles, for us as children. Father, this this idea of submission and leadership is, is all over the place, and we've been given this beautiful picture of it here in marriage to encourage and equip and to help all of us. So Father, I pray that as we as a church begin to try to live faithfully according to these words, that, that we would know more clearly the goodness of the gospel. That we would shudder at the idea of having our prayers hindered. And that we would run faithfully, run firmly and boldly to the cross trusting that there is forgiveness for us. Father, all of us men particularly, I know we have failed in leading in our homes. Let us say to the Lord, Father, make it such that our prayers are not hindered. Lead us to repentance and faith. Help us to own what we should own. Help us to trust that there's forgiveness for us because of the blood of Jesus. Let us cling humbly and submissively to the cross. Father, for your glory, for our good, for the good of our wives, for the good of our kids, for the good of the people around us, for the good of your kingdom. We ask these things in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.